You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And here's your host, Aram Layton. Welcome back to Locked On MLB Prospects, your only daily podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball. As always, I'm your host, Aram Layton. I'm a minor league play-by-play broadcaster as well as a prospect writer. And today, Monday, December 28th, we're going to be talking about a few trades that happened not too long ago. One more recently this past week with Josh Bell traded to the Nationals from the Pirates for Will Crow and Eddie Yeen. I'm going to be talking about that return and my thoughts on Josh Bell. And then a little bit further back a couple weeks ago, but I figured I'll tie in the two first baseman trades in this episode, the latter being Nate Lowe and Jake Gunther over to the Rangers from the Rays for a return of some young prospects that I'll fill you in on. Herberto Hernandez, Oslevis Basabe, I guess I'm trying, I'm really trying here, and Alexander Ovalis. And believe it or not, I am half Hispanic. I can actually speak pretty close to fluently, but sometimes with the names, man, I feel like I just sound like I don't speak a lick of Spanish. But you'll just have to take my word for it on that one. But I will try with the pronunciations, so bear with me. But what I will say is that these three players in Hernandez, Basabe, and Ovalis are both interesting, with Hernandez being possibly a top 100 prospect, if not right now, very soon, just defensive questions around him. So I'm going to get into that package a little bit more in the second half of the episode. I'm going to start with the more recent trade of Josh Bell for Will Crow and Eddie Yeen, two pitchers heading over to Pittsburgh in return for the first baseman bounce-back candidate who had a phenomenal 2019 All-Star season and then a really bad 2020. But when I look at the metrics and when you look at all of the peripherals on Josh Bell, there's some alarm. And I think if you're the Nationals, you're okay with giving up Will Crow and Eddie Yeen because the Nationals pretty much top 10 prospects, maybe even further, are all pitchers. Now, I think almost all of their top 15 prospects are like right-handed pitchers, a vast majority of them, and a lot of really exciting ones headlined by Jackson Rutledge, who I've talked about in the past as someone that was recently drafted, but still not quite getting the attention he deserves. But another guy that I have mentioned that does not quite get the attention he deserves is Eddie Yeen. And I was surprised to see him going in this deal. I thought the Nationals might try to sell high on some of the lower ceiling right-handed pitching prospects that they have like Will Crow. And I think that the Rangers, or not the Rangers, excuse me, I'll get to them in a moment, but the Pirates in a rebuild right now are looking for some higher upside players. And they were willing to take Crow because he can plug in now and you're buying low on a guy that really struggled last year. But Eddie Yeen is somebody that you got to be really happy to have secured as the Pirates because he is super high upside, very exciting, albeit some variance there. But I heard a lot of really good things about Yeen, so I'll get into him in a moment. But I want to start with Josh Bell, because Bell is a very mixed bag. And I think a lot of people might say it's not that big of a price to pay for a guy that has the chance to hit you 30-plus home runs. Sure, I I can see that side of the coin. But playing the devil's advocate here, I would say that it is somewhat of a steep price to pay. Will Crow is 26 years old and controllable, has a chance to be a back-end 
of the rotation pitcher, which is valuable right now, and worst case will be a reliever. And Eddie Yeen is high upside. I think he's got a shot to be a top 100 prospect by the end of this coming season. He's 19 years old, built like a linebacker, runs it up to 97, and he's just starting to get a feel for his secondary stuff. And the thing about Yeen is in the instructional league down in Florida, where he got a chance to throw a lot, and I think it was where the Nationals started to get excited about him. And I think it was going to be really tough for them to part with him. I'm very surprised that it was Yeen that they ultimately parted with, but I think it was probably the only way that they could get away with just trading Will Crow, meaning that if it wasn't Yeen, it was probably going to have to be two other guys that they liked alongside with Crow. I'm sure they were happy to give up Will Crow after his struggles this year and after the fact that he was a second-round pick, but it looks like his ceiling is much more capped as a guy that is more likely going to be, as I said earlier, back of the rotation arm at best and most likely in the bullpen as Crow. When you look at him, he's got very average stuff. And it played up in the minor leagues due to some very solid command. But as he got to the major leagues, you look at him and he starts trying to nibble at the corners a lot. And all of a sudden, the walk numbers are going up because he doesn't trust his stuff. And that was quite evident with Will Crow is he just didn't trust his stuff. And he was trying to be too perfect. And when that happens, you tend to see a walk rate come up. So maybe Crow works on something, is able to get another pitch above average, or maybe he trusts it a little bit more and can just work off his command and be an average back of the rotation arm or reliever. Maybe being a reliever, he can focus on two pitches and try to get some more velocity there. He sits more in the low 90s, tops out in the mid 90s. Yin, much more projectable. Like I said earlier, 19 years old, built like a linebacker, 6'1", 230 pounds, effortless velo, has the potential to have two plus offerings along The fastball is that plus offering and also a slider that is a little bit of a slurve type of break, but has some nice bite to it and is a good swing and miss pitch. The changeup, again, 19 years old, not many 19-year-olds are going to be throwing really good changeups, especially when they're high velo guys. So the changeup is lagging behind, but it shows the ability to be an average pitch at times and has a chance to be an above average pitch. You got that three-pitch mix for a 19-year-old. He's got a lot to look forward to as a very projectable type of prospect that I think the Pirates got to be happy to get. Crow competes for a rotation spot right now. You hope something clicks with him and maybe he's able to become a little bit better and be maybe a back end of the rotation arm, but at least you have a cheap controllable arm there that can be a swingman type of role for them. And then you got that high upside Eddie Yeen that's more high variance, but at the very least you got Crow that can plug in now and you hope that Yeen pans out and it's a good return. While you might be thinking Josh Bell was an all-star just a year ago, why would the Pirates sell low? Well, reason number one is he's owed $6 million this year. And you might say, yeah, that's not that much money. But right now with COVID, it is kind of a lot of money, especially for a team like the Pirates that has no business really worrying about competing. So why pay Josh Bell $6 million this year? And then on top of that, you look at him, he was terrible this past year. And I think the fact that the Pirates were willing to give up on him, or at least trade him in this scenario, as long as they weren't getting 20 cents on the dollar, I'd say they got more like 50 cents on the dollar here. I think they were okay with it because if he sucked this coming year, like he put up the numbers in 2020 of a 226, 305, 364 slash line, only eight home runs, 27% K rate, and an abysmal 56% ground ball rate. If he did that again, this coming year, then you're not going to get anything for Josh Bell. You wouldn't even get just Will Crow, probably. So when you think about that, the Pirates were like, okay, 
Maybe we just cash in on what we can get, take the prospects, save the $6 million, didn't have to kick in any money. And remember, that's kind of a lot of money for a guy that's terrible defensively. And that's another thing. And I feel like I'm just knocking on Josh Bell. But I really just don't see it. And I think a lot of people were were surprised by the lack of big name return. And that's why I'm kind of just being a little harsh on him because I want people to see the reason why. He was a tale of two halves even in 2019. So I took you through the numbers in 2020, but it's been beyond 2020. So you could say, oh, it was just the COVID season and all that stuff. But no, in the first half, he was spectacular. And you could maybe think, okay, well, what if he gets back to that? Well, what if? But remember, before that, we were waiting on Josh Bell to put it together. It was this oh my goodness, Josh Bell has all the tools, he has so much plus raw power, and he's a switch hitter, when is it going to come together? He was a high-level prospect, just wasn't putting it together. Then all of a sudden he does, and then he looks back at, to the form that we looked at before, where it was a guy that was struggling that has a lot of ability. First half, 302, 376, 648 slash line. Yeah, that's an OPS over 1,000. Second half, 233, 321, 459 slash line. Not the worst thing in the world, but it was the beginning of of what was the decline or demise for Josh Bell after that pinnacle in the first half. And when I look at Josh Bell and his swing, it's not surprising that he fell off a cliff to me because I honestly was talking about it with some scouts and just saying, how does this guy hit? He's got so much movement. He's so loud. He's so long to the ball. He hits the ball on the ground too frequently for a guy that's supposed to hit a lot of home runs. He's not that fast for somebody that hits the ball on the ground that much. And also, he's inconsistent. He's not a great hitter from the right side. If you date it back to the 2019 All-Star game, he is a 200 hitter from the right side. And in this past year, where he hit 226, he hit 180 from the right side. So he's almost bordering the not worth it range as a switch hitter, where you wonder if you just go left on left, are you going to be much worse than 180? I don't know. I don't want to really find out. And so I guess he's just got to stick with it. But just all of the metrics are somewhat concerning. 2019, he was able to hit the breaking ball a little bit. 276 average, 27% whiff rate against the breaking ball. 2020, 176 average, 36% whiff rate against the breaking ball. He still hit the fastball pretty well. Not over the 300 clip like he did in 2019, but he still hit it in the high 200s. So he's okay at hitting the fastball and he's got the big power. There's no disputing that. And is he an upgrade at first base over... Eric Thames, probably, because Thames was pretty brutal last year, but we don't know because Bell at this point is a struggling switch hitter who is not good defensively at a premium offensive position who has some very alarming peripherals. 38% swing and miss rate on pitches down the middle. Yeah, that's a sign of a guy that's definitely having trouble getting to the ball and has way too much movement in his swing. High infield fly ball rate, low home run to fly ball rate. It's just not too promising for Josh Bell. And don't get me wrong, like I like Josh Bell. I love switch hitters. As you know, I always like to talk about switch hitters because that's what I did as a player. I loved the art of switch hitting and what went into it. So for Josh Bell, I always was rooting for him and I still am. Again, I'd love to be wrong about this one, but I just don't see it. He does not show that swing malleability, meaning the willingness to make adjustments. So much movement, so much inconsistency. You're just not going to be able to time things up as a hitter like that. And he was timing things up well in that first half, and it was all working for him. But then the league adjusted to him. 
They realized he can't hit the curveball that well, and they exploited it. And he saw the curveball way more in 2020. And even though he was okay at hitting it in 2019, they realized that he's a fastball hitter. And he saw less fastballs. So now you've got a guy that could be an upgrade offensively, sure. But he's not good defensively. You're hoping he's going to be a DH when the NL hopefully implements the designated hitter, which we'll have to see when that happens. But you're trading. I can, I can be okay with Will Crow, But Eddie Yeen on top of Will Crow for what could be a guy that might not even be there next year and at a position that, mind you, is very easy to find offensive options in. There's a lot of prospects that are just blatantly ignored that could play first base and hit pretty well at the major league level. I talk about it all the time. You look at even guys like Seth Beer. Seth Beer is blatantly ignored because he's a subpar defender and has had some inconsistencies at the plate, but I would rather have Seth Beer than Josh Bell right now. I don't know if that's crazy to some that might be listening, but that's really where I stand on it because at least Seth Beer has a chance to be a consistent hitter at the plate. Josh Bell is always, even at his best, going to be inconsistent. But Seth Beer gets overlooked as a top prospect because he plays first base. So, you know, you're not going to have put that much value on the offensive production because you expect a first baseman to do that. Yeah, I get that. Not a lot of first basemen are going to crack the top prospect list. And I'm not saying Seth Beer should be a top 100 prospect. But what I am saying is there's so many guys like that. And I'd rather go get one of those guys than try to get a Josh Bell and pray that he figures out how to hit again and figures out how to hit again from both sides because he's a sub 200 hitter from the right side, but he wasn't good from the left side either. So a lot to figure out there for Josh Bell. I think it's a leap of faith for the Nationals. It could pay off big time if Josh Bell is even in between what he was in 2019 and what he was in 2020. If he can hit you 260 with or 250 with 25, 30 home runs, I think the trade is worth it at that point, but there's a very good chance that he doesn't even do that. So we'll have to see. I'm rooting for him. He puts up crazy exit velos. He's got big power, but he's got a crazy long swing and a lot of movement. And it's going to take a lot of adjustments for him to recapture anything close to that first half form in 2019. On the other side of the break, I'm going to talk about the trade between the Rays and the Rangers. Another first baseman deal. This one, a little bit more even across, I would say, where you could see why both sides made the deal but I would lean towards the Rays probably picking up some high upside options. Surprise, surprise. As I've said in the past, if the Rays want your prospects, you should probably keep them. And I think the Rangers are about to find out why. And I'll talk about that in just a moment. But a reminder that this episode is brought to you by BetOnline. BetOnline.ag is the place to go to place all of your bets. It's football season. We've got college bowl season. We've got the NFL regular season finishing up. And then we're going into the postseason. Baseball is hopefully coming up soon. It's just I'm checking off the days right now and I'm looking forward to that. But if you go to BetOnline.ag and use the promo code Locked On. You'll get a 50% welcome bonus, and that's if you want to play some bets on college football, NFL, or you want to wait for baseball season, just put the deposit in now so you get your 50% welcome bonus with the promo code Locked On, which is one word, and maybe even some futures bets, which I will do a podcast on when the season comes closer about some of the rookies that I like for Rookie of the Year and some other interesting prop bets 
going into next season where you could probably place them on betonline.ag. Use that promo code locked on for a 50% welcome bonus on your deposit. So if you deposit $100, you get an extra 50 free on top to place some wagers. And also, this episode is brought to you by Built Bar, 18 delicious flavors. All pretty much taste like desserts. You can't go wrong. They're covered in chocolate. They're easy to chew. They are low in sugar, low in carbs, low in fat, high in protein. What else could you want? Great for a keto diet. Whether you're trying to lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat, Built Bar is the best option for you. And if you go to BuiltBar.com right now and use a promo code, guess it, it's locked on. You'll get 20% off your next order and a free cooler while supplies last. That locked on promo code is the hookup right now, whether it's betonline.ag or Built Bar. And if you go to BuiltBar.com, you will get 20% off your next order and a free cooler while supplies last. So let's get into what will probably inevitably be a highway robbery by the Rays because they just steal everybody's top prospects. Randy Rosarena was the most recent where it was a guy with upside that could hit the crap out of the ball, but had some questions defensively and some questions consistency-wise. And I think the Cardinals figured it was time to maybe just get what you can get and switch it up. I don't think they really valued him too much. The Rays wanted him, and that's why they decided to make the deal. And that's what it was. And they got some really good guys in return. I mean, Arena had some great numbers in the minors, but they kind of popped up out of nowhere. And they had a chance to get Libertor, They probably said, sure, I'll throw in this outfielder. I don't care. And it could end up still looking like an okay trade. I don't think that, I think people are way too recency biased to say that that was a bad trade just yet. I love Libertor and Rosarena may not be anything close to what he was in the postseason. We've seen that happen plenty of times. And you think of Aquino with the Reds, that crazy run he went on where he was hitting a home run basically every time I blinked, then what is he doing now? So it's just, I'm not saying a Rosarena is going to be that, but you just never know. So let's not call that trade an L yet. Just like I'm not going to call this trade an L for the Rangers, though I will say they paid a steep price for Nate Lowe and Jake Gunther, but it does help that they did get Gunther in there because he is intriguing. But still, Herberto Hernandez, I love everything about this guy offensively. I don't think he's sticking behind the dish. And while I said in the past, and I will say it again, I am never going to relegate a guy at a young age as a prospect. I am very against that in the industry. But you look at this guy's mold and you can see the fear or concern that he won't stick behind the dish. I don't think it really matters too much with him because of how good he is at the plate. A short, quick, compact swing. He uses his lower half explosively. Crazy rotational power, but also has a really good hit tool and shows the ability to make adjustments, shows me that swing malleability that I was talking about, which Josh Bell lacks, right? Like when you make a bad swing through a ball or you're late on a ball down the middle and then they throw you the same pitch and you make the same mistake again, you know, everybody's human, but I like to see those adjustments in at bat, in game. And Hernandez has done that from the at bats that I've watched and the video that I've watched, a very explosive swing. And I think that there's a lot of power to be unlocked in there. Plus raw power, no doubt with a good hit tool combined to go with it. And that's why I think he's got plenty of intrigue. And while there are some questions as to whether he will be behind the dish, I think that you can hedge that with the fact that he will be valuable no matter where he goes. I would have him focusing on the hit tool and just making sure he's productive at the plate and continuing to develop. Sure, I want to see if he can stick behind the dish, 
but I'm really more focused on his offensive production because he has the ability to be a very, very good hitter, like top 100 prospect type of hitter. And if that's the case, then maybe you don't take so much time trying to force him into being an average catcher. I'm still saying I'm not giving up on him behind the dish, but if it looks like it's going to be a project, then maybe you just let the guy hit because he's going to be able to hit and produce no matter where he plays, whether it's first base, corner outfield, but I think he moves well enough to play a corner outfield spot. What's funny is a lot of the scouting reports on him are that he has short arms And I didn't really pay attention to that when I watched the video, but then I went back (laughs) and I kind of saw it. And that honestly helps him because he has such a short, compact swing. And it was thinking like, oh, wow, that really makes sense. And that's why he's able to generate some crazy power though, too. You hear about extension and all that stuff. Sure. But he is able to just generate so much bat speed and just keep it so short and consistent that that quick, short swing allows him to basically hit any pitch. If he's late on it, he can throw his hands at it and still hit it. If you try to run a two-seamer in on him, he will turn on it with those explosive hips and that quick bat. I love everything about the way he approaches the game, and I really like his offensive profile. When you look at Basabe, or Basabe, I don't know how to pronounce it, so please, I apologize for that, and Avalis, those two guys are lottery tickets, and I think that they are interesting nonetheless. And to get two lottery tickets on top of Hernandez, who is a very solid prospect that I think legitimately is a fringe top 100 as is right now from the tools that I've seen to get two pretty solid lottery tickets of guys that are offensive minded as well. I I like it. I like the return. And I think that the Rays are excited to just get a few high upside, one very high upside and two lottery ticket prospects that clearly they are sold on Hernandez's offensive profile. I don't think they just trade Nate Lowe and also throw in Jake Gunther if they weren't sold on Hernandez's offensive profile. I think Nate Lowe, you look at him, again, you're you're trading for a first baseman here, and the Rangers are not really close to being competitive, or at least very, very competitive right now, and I wonder why you're going to trade one of the more high upside prospects in your system that is not a great system. The Rangers are somewhat of a boring farm that does not have too much top-end talent. Hernandez has the ability to be that top end talent for you. Like after this year, he could be top three prospect in the Rangers system. And now one of the most high upside guys you have that could have definitely given a jolt to your system, you trade. And then two of the other potential lottery tickets that if they have a really good year and eventually make it into full season ball and are able to hit the ball there because they did hit the ball really well in rookie ball in the Dominican Summer League, then that's also somewhat of a high upside guy. And in turn, you get Nate Lowe, who is solid. I like Nate Lowe. He's got a good power swing from the first base spot. You know, that's a premium power position, but he's shown the ability to fill in when G-Man Choi got hurt. Jake Gunther, the opposite first baseman, doesn't show a lot of power, but does have a very good hit tool, has mashed the ball in the lower levels, mashed the ball in college. And, you know, does he have the power to carry first base? I don't know. And that's the concern. I think that's why the Rays were willing to give him up. But he hit well over 300, had a really good year. And we'll we'll see what he can do this coming season. If he can tap into some more power, he's going to have to as a first baseman. Nate Lowe's intriguing. He can definitely hit for some pop. But I just don't know if, if it makes sense to trade some high upside prospects for a guy that in 245 MLB plate appearances, slash 251, 322, 447, that's a 106 WRC+. 100 is average, right? But we're talking about first base. 
First base, 115 is more average for a WRC plus with a big first base is a big offensive spot. And then Gunther was a seventh round pick by the Rays in 2019 out of TCU. He slashed 320, 431, 423 with the Princeton Rays in his first season, which is an impressive on-base percentage, an impressive batting average. But when you're on base is higher than you're slugging, that's a little bit of concern. Two home runs and 209 plate appearances at first base, not ideal. But 11% walk rate, 12% strikeout rate, that's pretty encouraging. But then I'll hedge it back. I'm going back and forth here. We're playing ping pong. He's also way older than everybody else at that level. So we've seen that where guys that are college bats will mash at the lower levels and then they get overmatched at the higher levels. So I want to see him hitting for more for more power than he did. And while the hit tool was nice, are we sold on a hit tool for a college guy that played power five and now is mashing on some lower level players? Maybe, maybe. Nate Lowe was a top 100 prospect in 2019, 97th overall by Baseball America. So he's still got that high ceiling. He's still young. I think he's not even 26 years old. He's got the power to hit 30 in a season. And I think the the Rangers were looking at it like this, I guess, is that they're getting somebody that can help them now. And I guess they have the pipe dream of being at least a wild card threat this coming year. They have someone that can help them now. And they have someone that's still projectable and could be more than maybe the Rays think he could be right now. And that's maybe what they're betting on. I just don't see why you give up a high upside prospect and two lottery tickets that are pretty encouraging for a first baseman. Again, a very easy position to fill out and also a position where the Rangers are kind of fine. They have some questions of their own with, is Ronald Guzman going to be the guy there? You also got Sam Huff, who's a catcher that could play first base. You got some other guys, Joey Gallo, as he continues to get hurt, I know he's a spectacular outfielder, but the guy can't stay healthy. Does he end up going back to first base? Like, did you really need to go get Nate Lowe? I don't know. And I'm sure that there's some other first basemen that I'm missing right now too, that are like quadruple A guys that the Rangers have. They seem to hoard those dudes. So why get another kind of guy that's not for sure, for sure, going to be a stud first baseman? You know, I don't know. I don't know. But again, I'm not a GM. These guys are. And I don't know if I'm making that deal with the Rays, who clearly were hesitant to use Nate Lowe in a very full-bore, everyday type of position. G-Man Choi, yeah, he's pretty good. He's not elite unless he's facing Garrett Cole, then he's Hank Aaron. But, you know, if if Nate Lowe is not playing over G-Man Choi, then maybe I'm not going to give up one of my more exciting prospects for him, especially as a first baseman. That's just kind of where I stand on it. I do think that the fact that they got Jake Gunther and potential player to be named later does help sweeten the deal a little bit, but Gunther still has a lot to prove. And at the end of the day, seventh round pick, college guy that matched at the lower levels, took advantage of some lower competition, does show some pretty good tools and an approach at the plate. Got to find some power there. So those were some two interesting trades, or I guess subjectively interesting in what has been in just an awful offseason. Just so boring. Hopefully it'll pick up a little bit. But I got a lot more exciting things on the way. Some good interviews this coming week. Another farm system breakdown and plenty more to look forward to. Hopefully some trades to talk about as well. So we can start talking about some more prospects getting swapped here and there. And some more higher level prospects potentially getting swapped here and there. Reminder that you can always fire your questions at me at Nate on Twitter and at LO underscore MLB prospects. Feel free to DM me any questions. I am looking to potentially do another mailbag coming up in the next week or so. As always, thank you for listening and I look forward to talking prospects with you tomorrow.